0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the New Books Network, a podcast dedicated to the Christian Studies channel. I'm Meg, the host today, and we are talking to street chaplain Lindsay Crinks about her new book, Praying With Our Feet. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Oh, it's so good to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh my gosh, we are so excited to have you, um, Lindsay. I wonder if you could begin our interview by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, this book is definitely more memoir, so maybe tell us who you are and what sets you apart.
0: Yeah, so um, I wear a few different hats in the community. Um, I um, about twelve years ago, I co-founded an interfaith homeless outreach nonprofit. And we in Nashville, we do a lot of work on the ground um, in the campsites, on the streets, helping people access housing, meeting them where they are, um, forming relationships. But we also do a lot of systemic work. So, a lot of work geared toward housing justice, racial justice, economic equity, things like that. And I've dabbled a lot in community organizing and activism. I've been cited and arrested. So, I do have a little bit of a record. Um, <laughs> yes. And- <laughs> and I also um, I also have really found my calling in um, street chaplaincy and in interfaith street chaplaincy, but certainly my roots are in the Christian tradition um, and that is really just journeying with people and caring for them in a holistic way that takes into account their um, spiritual and emotional health. Um, so yeah, I work on the underside of Nashville and have dedicated my life to the work of not only housing justice but collective liberation. And I'm really thankful to be here with you and to share my story and so many of the stories of the struggles we've um, accompanied over the years in the book.
1: Yes, thank you so much for saying that. And oh, I, yeah, I just really loved how your book was that it was snapshots of your own personal journey, as well as deep exploration of different folks and their stories. And I'm just curious, were there any specific moments that led to your decision to finally write your book?
0: You know, it was a kind of gradual building. Um, I had written before writing this book, I'd written lots of um, smaller projects and um, been published in a couple books and have been published online. And I was just feeling that um, what we were talking about, what I was talking about, um, was really resonating with people. And there was this broader audience forming. People were hungry. People are hungry for intimate stories and people who are real and tell not like way underneath the stereotypes, way past that, way deeper. And um, I really felt like we could tell the story of um, what it means to be, you know, a person of faith in this, in the 21st century, where there's so much injustice and so much suffering going on, um, and what that faith looks like in different ways. Um, I'm always fascinated by memoir because it plunges you into a world that often you don't know a lot about. Um, I mean, I've read so many memoirs from so many different people all across the gamut. And I really wanted to um, not just tell people about the underside of our city, the tent cities, the underpasses, this like underground world, you know, that's going on just past our eyesight in in every city and every town. I didn't want to just tell people about it. I wanted to take them there, um, and smell the fire and meet my friends. Um, and that's really what that kind of desire, um, and my friends, um, saying, we want our story to be told. We want these things out there. Um, that really drove me to, to consider a bigger project. Oh my goodness. That's so
1: awesome. Um, I'm just going to start going into the book because it was so powerful. And it starts off with your own introduction to activism. And yeah, can I, I'm just wondering if you could talk to us about that and maybe a little bit about what that looks like today for you.
0: Yeah. So I never, you know, I, I came, I grew up in the foothills of South Carolina and I came to Nashville for college at a small Christian college. And I never intended to get involved in activism, but the tricky thing is that sometimes you start rereading the prophets and rereading the gospels, and then you start realizing the suffering that's going on around you. And there's just something that opens up inside of you. Um, I started um, studying the prophets and the gospels in a different light and understanding that, you know, scripture wasn't some one-time story where there were, you know, people in poverty, widows and orphans we're supposed to be caring for, like those stories are still unfolding today. And, you know, one day when I was actually skipping class um, in college, I stumbled upon this homeless organizing group, um, literally like accidentally like walked by their storefront, their big office, and just was so pulled in by the images I saw in the statistics. And I tell the story, but one of the women inside was like, Honey, do you want to come in? Like, I was just staring with my jaw open. <laughs> and um, they pulled me in, and um, we started talking and formed relationships. And I was looking for somebody to come speak at a forum on campus about poverty issues. And there they were. And, you know, that led to getting involved with them and really opening my eyes to um, the broader housing struggles, affordable housing struggles in our city. Um, Got me into a lot of good trouble, um, and so I started from very scrappy, begins, um, trying to do a letter-writing campaign, getting in some trouble at school um, with for that, and then um, a lot of scrappy activism where you know you just say, if you're going to close the camp, we'll put our body before the bulldozers. Um, we we did that, and we stopped some camp closures that way. Um, but we're a lot more, you know. 15 years later, we're a lot more coordinated and we're a little bit more savvy. Um, And that means that, you know, we understand how, how these things work. We understand how legislation works at a local statewide level. We have deep relationships with organizers and activists from other issues. And we work together and build power together. And um, with our friends on the streets, with our friends. That are being marginalized and oppressed, and um, it's a it's a really beautiful thing. It's a it's very relational work, very relational.
1: Yeah, one of the larger concepts that I saw forming throughout your book was this value placed on organizing, and it wasn't just with legislature or nonprofits. It was with your friends, and then the media and other organizations. And I'm curious, how has that process gotten easier and I guess more streamlined over time because now you have 15 years in, I heard you say.
0: Yeah. You know, nobody on the streets and often very few people in the movement community are going to trust people automatically. There's just a lot of distrust of systems because people have been hurt and there's a lot of distrust. So, um, So relationships and this like Kind of trying to plant deep roots in a community or into issues or into other people. Those um, those things. When big issues come, we have deep roots together. I was learning about these trees recently, where you know um, these. Oh, I think it was the redwoods, right? They are so incredibly tall, um, but their roots are. They're actually roots are kind of shallow the way they prop themselves up and withstand winds and incredible storms is that they link their roots together. Um, and they form this network of stability. Um, and so we have deep roots in these issues, but we've also formed these amazing, like broad interconnected roots, um, within our community, um, within these other issues. And I'm really, uh, you know, that's, that's something that anybody can do. Um, it just takes some time. It just takes some trust building. Um, trust is one of the most important pieces of the work that we do. um, because you know, we're working, our our ultimate goals are personal transformation and systemic transformation. And that means if we're going to be vulnerable enough to change and ask other people to change, people have to trust us and, and have that relationship. Um, same thing with systems, right? Um, Power concedes nothing without a demand, it's been said. And it's very hard work for, you know, small people to raise up um, and rise up together and challenge these powers and systems. So, so yeah, we've worked really hard um, to deepen those roots. And, you know, that extends to media too. We, you know, I have a lot of contacts in my phone now. It's like, so and so from Channel 17, so and so from the Tennessee. And those relationships, <laughs> yes. those relationships form over time too. And, you know, the first time I ever did a media interview, I was shaking like a leaf. I was like, probably stuttering. <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> and now, like, you know, somebody will call and I'm like, yeah, let's hop on Zoom. Give me five. You know, it's a different, you know, there's mm-hmm. a strategy to it, but it gets easier over time. Um, and it gets easier with practice and with community when you can really on, rely on other people to not just have to shoulder it all alone.
1: Yeah. You seem to be really aware of that. You know, in your book, you, you had mentioned the shelf life of an outreach worker is about two to three years. And let me tell you, as someone who has been in nonprofit work, working with people experiencing houselessness and addiction and all the things I felt that so deep in my soul and um, I'm just curious, what what other care do you do for yourself when you're dealing with such difficult or emotionally taxing work,
0: especially as a new mom? Oh, yes. So the mom life is real. <laughs> there is so much balance involved. Yes, yes. yes you know. Um, but, you know, I I sometimes struggle with the um, language of, and you, I don't think you use this, but just self-care, because one of the things I've learned is that you know, self-care is important. It's so important that we do nurture ourselves, but it's also important to be in relationships where you hold a kind of collective care for each other. Um, one of the strengths of our our um, nonprofit right now is that we have such an incredible team um, and they we teach each other how to care for ourselves. Um, in my own personal life, um, I've really had to work to kind of do the work on myself. Um, I've definitely had a couple major burnouts that, um, you know, burnouts aren't just being tired and, and, you know, for a couple weeks, burnouts take things away from you. They have mental health impacts, they have physical health impacts, they can have relational impacts. Um, And those are really hard times. Um, One of the things that I had to do personally is to kind of ask myself, like, why am, why do I continue to burn out? Um, so therapy, I'm going to give a shout out to therapy. Um, I have therapy in my garden. Yes. And that is really wonderful. But I also have a real therapist and she's really, really helpful. Um, and that can really help us unpack those deeper things. Like for me, I, I talk about this in the book, some of the things that were driving kind of those burnout things were, um, was guilt and this kind of need to Kind of need to prove my worth. I think a lot of us um, feel that in this capitalistic system that we feel like we are worth what we produce. And that is not true. So um, a lot of it for me was having people around me that could help me unpack those things um, and also spiritual practices. Um, You know, I have. Um, I, I remember hearing somebody say that they drink from deep wells, you know, spiritually. And um, one of the practices, a couple of the practices for me that have really been sustaining and grounding are um, certainly the contemplative life. Um, not that I'm really great at meditating every day. To be truthful, I'm not, especially as a new mom. But to have to to be able to seek out spaces where I can really focus on that being instead of doing, um, trying to create times of Sabbath. Um, my husband and I recently were both like kind of closet monastics, like part, like he would be a really good monk and I would make a partly sometimes good nun, (laughs) but you know, we, um, we covered for each other to go to a monastery that's close to us recently. Um, it's the Abbey of Gethsemane in Kentucky where Thomas Merton was a monk. And they have this retreat center. And um, it was really hard for us both to leave and leave our toddler. Um, but we both got um, a weekend of silent retreat. And let me tell you, like that was so grounding for me. So um, certainly... Certainly, there's things we can do for ourselves, but there's also things we can do together um, in our families and in our teams that we're with um, to encourage that kind of health and sustainability.
1: Um, Thank you for saying that. And I really appreciate that you take it not only from a personal familial level, but also as a corporate level, like how in our organizations can we show up for one another and model that and support each other. And that is just so powerful. Um, I did want to talk a little bit about creativity because you did a few creative things that I just, you know, I just was like hooping and hollering and I loved it. One of the things is you held a funeral for the U S constitution and the bill of rights. And, and another one, I just have to give a shout out. Um, you had taped your mouth closed during church. And I'm just curious, can you tell us a little bit of how the role of creativity in your activism has sustained your work on the streets?
0: Oh, totally. You know, this work is so hard and it will just eat you up. And there has to be a place um, for like humor and like disruption and like creative um, outlets. And, you know, um, With the U.S. Constitution and Bill of Rights, um, we held that. This was during the, um, you know, Occupy Wall Street phase. And across the country, cities were closing down the Occupy um, encampments and really trampling on people's constitutional rights. You know, we got arrested here locally um, while we were participating in our First Amendment rights. Um, And so... We, um, we were like, well, what do we do? Well, first of all, we got arrested and we got we had good lawyers and that was helpful. But then we held a funeral for the Constitution of Bill of Rights just to dramatize, like, you know, this is dead. If you're continuing to shut down people who are trying to petition the government for redress of grievances, um, you know, you have no respect for this and it is dead. Another fun story is that um, one time, Our Tennessee state legislatures, um, they passed a bill that would make it, um, uh, it, it started off being a misdemeanor and then it became a felony just to camp on state property. Like that is wild, right? Just laying with a tarp over your tent on state property would be a felony, um, even a misdemeanor. So we, we held a sleep out, um, on legislative plaza, And instead of having a tent that we slept in that night, um, this one of our groups started at Vanderbilt campus and they filled up a huge tent with helium balloons and they floated the tents from Vanderbilt all the way downtown to Legislative Plaza (laughs) And we slept underneath the tent all night, um, just to be like, um, "Oh my gosh! No, imagine seeing just, that!
1: Oh my goodness!"
0: It was incredible. They got some good press, but um, but just to show people how ridiculous this is, and um, to kind of, kind of, you know, I think it was Flannery O'Connor, um, and I think I write about this, but um, she said, you know, when people, this is a big paraphrase. Basically, like when people are sleeping or they're not seeing something, you have to draw large, startling figures. Like you have to kind of shake people awake. And she said it way better than that. But, you know, we have to break out above the noise. You know, there's so much going on. So when there's something creative, it kind of pulls you out and kind of gets your attention and kind of disrupts that status quo. It makes you think outside of the box, and um, it's been really fun to be a part of things with other activists and organizers who who are creative. Um, so yeah, we do have a lot of fun too. You know, we work really hard, but we play hard too. So it's fun when it goes hand in hand. Yes, absolutely, Lindsay.
1: And even that quote that you just paraphrasing, I believe I met um, Ruby Sales, and she said a very similar thing because I do art and use it in activist ways and she told me once like we have to make it so that it wakes people up and it she's right and it's like folks can easily get this like lullaby effect where we're just used to what injustice we encounter every day and we don't stop to think oh this could change oh this is actually wrong we could do something about this
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely um I feel like I read somewhere that the duty of an artist is to wake people up or something, or like have people question something. I don't know, but it goes along with that. Absolutely. And, you know, that's what the prophets did too. They were wild. Like they did some pretty dramatic to kind of get people to dramatize like the situation between Jews and God, like that relationship and all kinds of stuff. So, um, yeah, how can we learn from that, and how can we think outside of the box? Because, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, we have to do where, what we're being called to do, and sometimes that is um, that's to be with people who are being cast out, who are being crushed by this system. Um, it's incredibly hard work. We need people to join us, and people are willing to join in that work when they understand what's happening. Um, so it's it's really about health. It's, it's about awareness and education. Yeah, it's it truly is. I truly believe that so many folks are really good, uh, well-intended folks who want to do the right thing. Um, it's just about it's about calling people in. You know, there's a time to call people out. You know, when we all make missteps, there's a time for that. Um, but there's also probably way more times to call people in um, to the movement of living out the kingdom of God in the here and now, working toward collective liberation with our brothers, sisters and siblings. And that is that is a work um, you know, of the artist, of prophet, of the activist, of the organizer, um, of people of conscience and faith everywhere, I think. Um, so let's at least have some fun with it too. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly, definitely.
1: All right. I did want to mention one thing. You made, um, you pointed out the difference between charity and disrupting injustice in your book, and I feel like I've been seeing that difference called out in a few different places. Can you tell me why that was important to do here?
0: Yeah, you know. One way we describe it some, um, and I think this is the way that um, journalist Bill Moyers describes it too, but, you know, charity um, has been described as crumbs from the table, whereas justice is a place at the table. Um, There's other people um, like Robert Lupton and others have called charity toxic, this like toxic charity. And what I think people are getting at and what I'm interested in getting at when it comes to charity is that so many times um charity exists not to disrupt the systems that create the need for charity, right? Not to disrupt those systems, but to make people feel better about those systems. We we go do to do volunteer work at a food bank and we leave feeling better about ourselves like we made a difference and that's good work. Like we need food banks, but we don't ask why so many people are hungry. We don't talk about, um, the lack of living wages so people could afford their own food. We don't, you know, talk about, um, how, how difficult the food stamp system and SNAP benefits are in this country and how many hoops there are and how those are being dropped. There's just so many systemic factors. So, you know, um, Charity can be really toxic, and there's other people who, um, and we certainly are very um, aware of this and active in this. Um, there's this thing called the nonprofit industrial complex, right? Where it's like the prison industrial complex, but it's in the nonprofits. And what what I think that is is that you know so many well-meaning, good folks. Um, And not all nonprofits are like this. We try to not be like this. But there's so many nonprofits that just simply perpetuate the need for themselves without asking those broader questions, without challenging the systems that create the need that they're then serving. And it's an industry. um, And there's a lot that goes into that that we don't have time to unpack here. So please do Google that later. With, you know, what we're trying to do at Open OpenTable Nashville, which is a nonprofit I work at, is we're trying to work ourselves out of a job every day. Um, like we're not interested in some shiny nonprofit that's going to get all the awards. Um, we are interested in creating a body of people who is trying to end this and that has directly affected folks. Um, in some of our leadership positions on our board, on our staff, um, in our education team, um, and really trying to dismantle um, the and, and abolish poverty as it currently stands in the United States of America. Um, that is a that. That means that, you know, yesterday I was in, for five hours, I was in um, a state Senate Judiciary Committee meeting waiting to testify about a bill that was going to further criminalize homelessness. Um, we, we have to go upstream. Um, and it's kind of, you know, the difference between char- charity and justice is kind of like the difference between what we talk about a lot is the difference between service and solidarity. You know, service is good. Like again, people need that food right now. Um, we do not want hungry children. We need to be doing this work though in a in a justice framework, um, and with solidarity with service. That is a really great place to start, and it's really important for all of us to serve. Jesus called us to serve. But what solidarity does is it doesn't just say, um, "Here's some temporary relief." It says. I want to be in this with you and let's do this together because our liberation is bound up together. And I I truly believe that. So um, solidarity, you know, is this huge word. And I talk about this in the book too, um, but it, it always begins with relationships and closer proximity. Um, It's not um, based in that, that power dynamic that charity is where the haves have power over the have nots solidarity really tries to be mutual and come come in together come in with and take risks together um, there's a cost to it um, if you haven't been involved or many many of us have right we've stood up for something and there's a relational cost we lose a friendship because we stood up for something um, those costs are real but the alternative is um, is letting folks, suffer alone. And that's certainly not what I think God is calling us to do as people of faith. Um, we have to get our hands dirty um, in the struggles of the world. And, and yeah, that, that takes going upstream. The prophets call us to justice. Jesus overturns the tables of exploitation. Um, we, have to, we have to go upstream. Lindsay, that right there is so good. And
1: I just want to read one quote from your book. I'm not going to give away the whole, all the goodies, but there was this one quote you had on solidarity that I just have to read here so that folks hear how powerful it is and go and support your work by buying this book. You say in the book, solidarity involves putting your body, your heart, and even some of your relationships on the line. Solidarity means that you carry a part of the immense injustice in the world alongside others because no one should bear that weight alone it means you take risks give up comforts share resources struggle alongside others and sometimes make mistakes and i just found that to be so powerful especially as you know fathers followers of jesus when he invites us into it is so relational it's not disconnected and you know the urban and the suburban and the wealthy and the poor, it it was solidarity.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's what, I mean, I think that's what, and we say kingdom instead of kingdom of God, um, just after some other theologians that have kind of used that term, but I think that's what bringing the kingdom of God and the here and now is all about, right? It's, um, I mean, it's, it's living as if, the gospel was really true as if our deepest convictions are really true. Like the poor are blessed, the last are first. Um, that is like, if, what if we actually could embody, not just preach about, but embody good news to the poor. What if our very being was good news to the poor and oppressed? Like, what would that mean? What would that look like in our lives? What would be different? Um, and I think that's what we're called to be. Um, so and that involves, you know, entering into the struggles with people, not just suffering with people, but struggling alongside them for better conditions, because there are certainly a lot of people profiting off of um, the very unjust system we have right now. And that has to change. Um, that is not that is not good news to the poor. <laughs> uh, that is not um, liberation for the captive. Um, that is not what Jesus came to inaugurate. Um, so. Yes, it is messy, um, but it's relational and there is grace and there is learning and there is, and and there is liberation. Like I really do believe that we find our own salvation and liberation, um, in the struggle for a better world together. Um, I, I think it's, you know, our salvation is as horizontal as it is vertical. Um, I think Martin Luther King Jr. Talked about that.
1: Oh, Lindsay. Oh my goodness. I could just keep going on and on, but I want to just, um, talk about one last thing real quick. I love that you gave us a discussion guide. You don't just, you know, give us such powerful information and stories and leave us hanging. You really kind of give us something that we can journey along with. And I'm just curious, do you have any words for those who might be listening, who are just getting started in this type of thought process or work, um, that you would share with them?
0: Yes, definitely. You know, we all have to start wherever we are. Um, There is all kinds of grace for where we are, whether we're like super far into this work and have committed our lives to it, um, to the work of justice and all of this, or if we're just starting out, um, what we're called to do is take the next step wherever we are. Always keep walking, always um, keep journeying. Um, We make the path to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, by walking it together. Um, So, you know, I would say, especially if people are thinking about homelessness, for instance, you know, some of us, it's so natural to not know what to do when we see people um, on the streets to, you know, our society teaches us from a very young age to fear people that we don't know and understand. And so if people are looking for just very small ways to start, um, you know, being more relational in their work or in their lives, um, one of the things we always encourage people to do on a very practical level is just to carry. If you know you're going to see people, you know, all of us see people on the median or when we're traveling or, um, you know, wherever. Just have some water, have some extra snacks, have some socks in the winter, have some hand warmers. just be prepared um, with some items that you can really, really show compassion to someone in the moment. Um, you know, the, the good Samaritan was prepared when he was on that road to Jericho. He was, wait, no, it was not to Samaria. Um, he was prepared. He knew what, how treacherous the road was. So he had wine and he had oil and he had bandages to bind the wounds, right? How can we be prepared um, to show compassion Um, to people that are really struggling um, for so many different reasons, often reasons that they can't control. Um, You know, just affirming someone and looking them in the eyes and kind of seeing their humanity too makes a big difference. So whatever that next step is, whether it's having some items in your car or, you know, getting together and finding the people um, in your community who are doing justice work, or if it's following people like groups, you know, online to get more in touch with their calls to action or their needs. um, That's a great starting point for sure. Um, Certainly, um, certainly this work is not made to be done in isolation or alone. So find the people that are doing it, um, band together with them um, and be prepared to show compassion and solidarity um, wherever you can.
1: Thank you so much for that, Lindsay. All right. Just for my last question, I just wanted to ask, can you tell us what you are working on now?
0: Yes. um, I am working actually on a garden. (laughs) It is so so refreshing. So, you know, um, I finished this book um, when I was pregnant and having a lot of morning sickness and then i edited it edited, edited it after i had my baby and i've been writing small things here and there we actually do more press releases and statements on policy than we do creative writing at the moment um oh I my have, gosh because i have mom brain and because there are perpetual crisis situations yes are true then, <laughs> yes whole different thing But, um, but the thing that I'm falling in love with again is just my hobby of gardening and seeing things grow and introducing our toddler to that, you know, we lost our home in a tornado a couple years ago and we just moved back last fall. And, um, now is the time that we are rebuilding things and replanting the plants we saved. So, um, it's a really exciting time and it's really giving me new life and it's getting me out in the yard. So I'm meeting our neighbors and, um, you know, we don't always have to be so, be so productive in the world. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes it's about cultivating life and whatever that looks like for us and really trying to plant some roots in our space. Um, so, so yeah, do it brings you life, um, wherever you can, we have one life, um, we, you know, let's let's use it for an impact, but let's also enjoy the little things um, and not get too caught up in, um, in the grief without also holding the joy.
1: Oh my goodness, Lindsay. Yes. Everything. Yes. That is so sacred. And I think that's a perfect note for us to end on. Thank you so much for joining our show today I just can't can I can't wait to continue to support your work and you know get all my best friends on the bandwagon because you're really on to something and I'm just so grateful for our time today
0: it is just so good to be with you and I'm so thankful to be connected and um, it's just so nice to um, have this conversation so thanks for the invitation and you know anybody please and, and Meg certainly like hit, hit me up like we're here. We're a resource. We're relational. Um, We'd love to connect. Thanks so
1: much. All right, friends, go buy Lindsay's new book and then support her and her friends and community in Nashville, Tennessee. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you so much.